Episode 81 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with the assistant sports scientist at Preston North End, Luke Hemmings. Luke came on to talk about his pathway to full-time football. He spoke about his biggest lessons he's taken away working closely with Tom Little, former guest on the Football Fitness Federation podcast from episode 24. We also spoke about um, some strategies that they've implemented at the club that have had the biggest impact and also the non-negotiables that they've implemented in their program as well. So it was great to have Luke on. It was a nice extension of the episode with Tom, which was quite a while ago now. Uh, really nice to hear some of the lessons that Luke's taken from Tom um, and uh, being a young practitioner as well. So very different experience levels, but it's great to chat with him and go through all the things that they're implementing in their program at Preston at the moment. And like I said in the episode, they're having such a good season as well. So it's great to hear some of the behind the scenes um, of what's been going on at the club as well. So a big thank you to Luke for coming on. I just want to say thank you to everyone that's recently done us a iTunes review as well. But if you could do us another huge favour and make sure you subscribe to the podcast too. So it's for you to get the podcast when they come out and there's two coming out per week at the moment. Just make sure you hit subscribe on iTunes and that'll make sure that every time we release a podcast, it'll go straight onto your phone or whatever device that you listen on. Um, and it also gives us a good idea of the numbers of people listening as well. So if you could do that, that would be a great help. But that is it from me in terms of an introduction this week. Enjoy the episode with Luke Hemmings. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 81 with Luke Hemmings, the sports science assistant at Preston North End. Luke, how's things? I'm good, Ben. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. I see you've gone with the uh, the coronavirus haircut there. Yeah, I've got, I like it. Got a long guard all over, short and simple. My, my my missus used to be a hairdresser, to be fair. Oh, but, um, she's she's had the she actually tested positive for coronavirus, so which she's uh she's been a bit rough for a few weeks. Oh, so uh, I just have to go with the one one cut all over. <laughs> dog's gonna need it soon as well <laughs> yeah it depends how long it goes on doesn't it for, for yeah, how people that, looking that's the one it, I thought to myself if I do it now and, and get uh, and get it done by the time if we, we do go back I'm not gonna get as much stick as uh, I would do if I went back bold basically so it's a tactical decision Mate, there's going to be there's going to be plenty of other people in the same position I'm sure like, there's, there's plenty of different Absolutely. haircuts coming out in there after this break yeah and what about the weather as well? Trust it to start raining. It's, my isolation finishes tomorrow and it's just started raining. Everyone's <laughs> been outside all this time. Every day. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> anyway, mate, I've just mentioned there, um, sports science assistant at Preston, just before we go into your build-up to that role and obviously working with a previous guest in terms, we'll dive into this in a little bit with Tom Little, but... I did speak to Tom before the episode and he said to me, I've got to speak to you about some of these ridiculous fitness, um, fitness crazy, I don't know what we call them, but what, what challenge, you yeah, yeah, challenges, challenge, what have yeah. you been up to? Well, it was a couple of years ago, to be fair. It was Tom's fault if, if we're going to, if we're going to get into it. So uh, he asked me if you, I think it was 2016, we, we decided that we were going to sat do the football to Amsterdam ride. So we did that and I absolutely loved it. It kicked off a bug for me, like in terms of raising money and things like that. So 
I was toying with it for about a year. And then, you know, uh, Francis Bernal, he did his Iron Fran. Do you see that? I went and met him and did a bit of a bike ride with him. And that was like that. That was the that was the ticket point in terms of getting me to do something. So I toyed with it for a year, and then I can't remember where we were away somewhere in, in a hotel on a Friday night, and I just come up with this idea, and I thought, right, I'll do it. So cycle from John O'Gorts to Lands End, and then run across the Dover. So it's like an L shape for Luke, Luke's your event. And I said I said it to, to Tom and that, and they, they thought I'd had a few too many beers on <laughs> the hotel. So I ended up doing that. So it was like. Did John got to Land's End in a week, so that was like 140 miles a day, and then I ran across, so it's 14 marathons. I did that in 14 days, and I got a lot of backing from like the club and and like players and things like that, and ended up raising 30 grand. So it was a it was a, it was a good it was a few low points, but there's definitely more high points than low, that's for sure. Man, that's yeah. unbelievable. So I hope you dragged Tom with you. Oh, Tom, Tom was supporting us along the way. I think he, I, I think he was on holiday for the first week. So he was going to do a bit on the bike. Um, I think he was in. I think he was on holiday, so he was just ringing us and stuff. And then obviously, down, getting people to come down south. I didn't think about that to be honest. Like I had this, I had this massive grand finale, finished the fourteen marathon idea, and then I rocked up to Dover Castle and there was three people there because <laughs> he's all the way, all the way down south, and everyone's back up north. But so, supporting you from up north, that was the main thing. Yeah, 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 definitely. But some class fundraising there, mate. What was that for? What was there a charity? Prostate cancer. I thought it was uh, I thought it was kind of empty to do it for that charity because the, you know they support the football league and yeah. it affects so many men and then it ended up um Hannah's like a relative of Hannah's family ended up passing away in the build up to it. So that was kind of my my main incentive to try and raise as much money as we can. So I got a lot of support. I wouldn't have got anywhere near 30 grand if I didn't get the support I did off like the club and, and the fans and stuff. So it was brilliant. It, it was good. I, I ended up having a bit of trouble with my foot. So I, I fractured my fifth metatarsal like on that third day. So in terms of that, that, that's what really set, like the cycling was unreal. Like in terms of the scenery, you know, like the places we stopped, I, I fully, I would do it up over and over again if I could but it's the cycling with the, the running sorry with the pain just kind of sent me over the edge a bit so I had a few dark dark days running so people have said am I going to do anything again and I said if I do it's going to have to be cycling that was about that was my next question so when's the next next, next challenge yeah, well, I was going to say the off season but well, that's probably now isn't it yeah well I don't know what I'm going to do now <laughs> we don't know what the crack is but yeah I've always told you we're doing something like Race Across America but stuff like that's it's in season, so I'd have to do it off my own back, and I wouldn't fancy doing that on me uh, with a tent line. So yeah, we'd have to have a thing. Maybe, uh, maybe a lap, a lap of Scotland or something like that. Hey, quality. Yeah, well, you have to keep us keep us up to date with uh, when you confirm the next one, mate. Definitely. Yeah, we'll do. Might be a few years yet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's dive into you. So I just mentioned that your role, sports science assistant at Preston, obviously working with Tom, under Tom, at, at North yeah. End, and you guys are having a top season as well. Um, but talk us through your pathway to that current role. All right, yeah. So uh, first of all, I'd like to say thanks for having me on. Basically, it's a, it's a brilliant resource you've set up here and uh, something that I personally use, you know, all the time. You listen to the podcast, driving in and, and home from work whenever I'm on the bike and things like that. And the network meetings are fantastic as well you know try to attend as many as we can when we can obviously work permitting travel permitting and things like that so I'd like to say thanks for that and secondly 
the caliber of guests you've had on you know it's really uh, inspiring to see the amount of top quality guests you've got on and, and uh, to be fair it's it's quite humbling that you've asked me to come on so that's my bit in terms of saying thanks for you guys on, on behalf of us a lot for setting up this resource that's so useful uh, and then talk about my background pretty much similar to everyone that you meet in sport is you know they've always had an interest in sport I don't think I've ever met anyone who's not enjoyed a certain sport or a plethora of sports and, and I was the same growing up you know I was a rugby league lad from from the age of five my, my dad was big into rugby and, and he was a, he was very old school in terms of his methods but um that that's kind of what lit the fire so like growing up you, you've met me in person I'm an absolute uh dot I'm tiny and I'm very very slow <laughs> I've got no fast twitch vibes in my body so obviously that's a bit of a recipe for disaster when you talk about uh, being successful successful at rugby so Growing up from the age of five, I had this, you know, idea that I wanted to be a professional rugby league player. Um, failed miserably uh, because of my my um, my lack of physical capabilities, if if you'd say so. But in in on reflection, when I talk about that, I think that's what really lit the fire in terms of my um, my, my interest in, in sports science and and you know my desire to help athletes or other people I know to to get better at what they want to do you know improve their physical capabilities get fitter faster stronger so from growing up my, my dad my dad was like introducing me to obviously it's not academic style because he, he was he wasn't academic he, you know he never worked in sports but he would introduce you to like reading articles about you know how to get faster or watching youtube videos because he, he was rugby mad so i would always i always grew up in an environment where we were trying to get better we were in the back garden trying to, you know, well, if we did this or if we did, you know, this type of running, would we get better? So that that's where it kind of, I kindled love for it, really. And I was lucky enough to go through academia knowing that's what I wanted to do. So I was very driven in terms of I knew that I wanted to go to college and do sports science, so I sailed through that. That was 2011 to 2013. In the 2011 year, um, you do a, a work experience module. So I was lucky enough that my dad knew someone at Warrington Wolves Academy and uh, sorry first team and he put me in in contact with some of the academy guys and they were very accommodating and had me down there for a few weeks from my, my module and that really up, that opened up my eyes to the difference between theory and application and 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 it really like kindled a fire to how you can integrate both to get best of both worlds and you know applied practice so that that was brilliant and then my second year at college was 2012 2013 because I was so passionate, I just I loved doing the uh, the work. I loved doing all the uh, essays. So I finished about five weeks early. So I'm finishing college, and I've got and then all my mates are still at college, but I had twelve weeks free. So I thought I need to do something here to kind of improve. And, and my dad was always saying, you know, volunteer. So I've got some personal contacts at the club. I contacted those and asked. Can I just come in and, and and you know have a few weeks and learn? And it was through pre-season that that year in, in 2013 that I joined. And and to start off with, it was just like a a once a once a week kind of thing. And then I was offered like an opportunity where they'd say like you don't have to come in, but if you do want to, for me at, at that time I had 12 weeks free. I was working at the hotel at nights. I wanted to be there every day because I was just learning so much. You know, I was learning the soft skills 
like you know learning different drills different type of running and it was pretty pre-season so I just kept turning up really I bet they were <laughs> I bet they were getting sick of me to be fair they thought oh he's back again asking more questions but that, that was me for 12 weeks and then um, I went through got offered a place on a PT course a personal training course at Runshaw um, and I toyed with it a bit and the main factor for taking it was it was free because I was under 19 so for me that was a big factor and the second factor was I could see how through working at, through volunteering at the club how having those skills in a gym based uh, gym based kind of uh, uh, area could apply to football so I thought to myself it would be a perfect opportunity to learn more physiology learn you know different kind of training methods learn how to deal with different clients because throughout the modules we had to um, work with different clients of different sexes different ages so although at the time I didn't know I was doing I was developing skills of of how to communicate effectively you know program all all the um, all relevant things to, to football I was being able to apply throughout that year at the same time, um, I was doing silver at Preston. So that was just once a week, the PT course. So I was just going in. It was on a Wednesday. So I was in Monday, Tuesday. They were off Wednesday anyway. So that was perfect. PT course Wednesday. And then in Thursday, Friday, I was just turning up as much as I could. Um, and then I was offered again at the end of that PT course. I was offered the chance to do some like extracurricular courses. So like to more like around group sessions. So kettlebell classes, spin classes, and um, circuit training. So I, I took those because, again, they were a discounted rate. And I thought to myself, whilst I'm, you know, I'm free to do these things, they're only going to, I'm only going to be able to take things from it. I might not, it might not be the best thing for me in the world, but I will learn something from it. So that was me. Jumped on those bandwagons and cracked on. Did that throughout the 2013, 14. And then went into uni, 14, 15, uh, 14, 15 year. Um, when I was going into uni, I was having a few conversations with people, and 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 I didn't know that part time was it, part time uni was a thing, and then that was kind of chucked at me like the last few months of like enrolment. So I did a bit of digging, found out that it didn't affect how what you came out of at the end. It was still the same degree. So I was at a bit of a crossroads. Do I go full time uni? Have to leave Preston which is something I didn't want to do or do I go part-time have to extend how long I, I was studying for um, but have, still have the ability to go to Preston and for me like it was a no-brainer really I wasn't I wasn't bothered about doing three extra years because I was learning so much at Preston and I was being given so many opportunities that I just thought that that was the right thing for me to do and it's still when I reflect on and on what I did I think it was the perfect perfect opportunity for me to do and, and definitely the right decision so I did my first my first look, the first half of my first year and then coming out of that going into the, the first the second half of my first year um uh, what uh, Ronan left who was basically Tom's assistant he went to Burnley and then they Tom basically asked and the manager at the time Simon Merson asked if I wanted to step up and and kind of be the assistant and uh, I'll always remember that day. It's probably one of the proudest days of my life when um, they came in with a contract and they, they, sh- they gave me the contract and said, do you, do you want to go and have a look at it and take some time? I said, no, I'll give you that pen. <laughs> I couldn't wait to sign the contract. Honestly, it was, really was the proudest moment of my life. Um, so then pretty much 
from there, 15, 16 onwards, I was the assistant for Tom and I was doing part-time studying. So it was, it was basically a night school with a man-met one. So it's pretty hectic, but I loved it. And I, I've always had the mantra that if it's easy, it's not worth doing. So even though it was a struggle, for me, I think that I was getting the best of both worlds. I was getting all the applied knowledge and I was, you know, I was going for a uni and getting the, the theoretical underpinning. So for me, those from the, you know, the 2011 year through to the beginning of last year was amazing period of my life in terms of I've learned so much. I went through all my academia and I was lucky enough to be able to work at, at the club and, and, and they just kept, you know, gifting me more opportunities to increase my knowledge and increase my hands-on and application of things like that. So it, it really was a really good period of my life. Uh, one thing that I think I missed out on as well that I, I did that I think is important for, you know, if anyone's coming through and, and looking how they can improve themselves in terms of like becoming more employable or they've come out of uni and they're a bit of a lost thing to do. One thing I did do throughout my college career was I volunteered at a Sunday League football club and it was because my dad's mate had a team and they were 16 and 17 so they were pretty much the same age as me but he was saying they're struggling in terms of how you know they, they can't last a full game the warm-up you know there's lads getting injured and things like that would, would you come and do some sort of programming for us so it was by no means the top of the chain it was literally a Sunday League you train Tuesday you train Thursday the game on a Sunday but I just took over and I, and it was a really good time in my life because I was able to take the ideas that I was getting from Tom and, and, and the physios and things like that and apply them to a setting that, that I was able to, that I wouldn't have been able to at that time if I, you know, I didn't get the ideas from the club if I wasn't volunteering and I wasn't volunteering at the Sunday League club. I wouldn't have been able to apply those. And I think that really helped me with my hands-on like handling of different types of players different you know subgroups different ages as well because they were different ages end up doing quite a few different ages for the same team because they trained on the same night so it was just a really good time for me to be able to kind of apply what I was learning and I think that helped me in terms of my practical skills massively so I, I, I would recommend that to anyone is just volunteer wherever you can and don't you know just do anything you can to volunteer even if it like like I said just a Sunday league team you can at least uh, practice and apply some some of the theoretical underpinnings that you've learned mate that's class absolutely quality and it, it actually ties in really nicely with the recent episode with um liam anderson and we spoke about using opportunities and we were referring a bit more to like internships and i know yours was like i suppose you could refer to it as an internship even if it wasn't an official internship but yeah you can easily waste those opportunities as well can't you and it sounds like you just didn't do that um, oh, yeah, for sure. I think you can. I think you. I think you kind of think. Well, I might do that. You know, like I had the opportunity, and and when they offered me, it, I thought Tuesdays and Thursdays. I was working at the hotel, so I was kind of strapped for a bit of time. But I thought to myself, well, it's a perfect opportunity to be able to to practice what I've learned, and and in a safe environment as well. And there's a, a squad environment. There's not many opportunities you get at that age where you can apply stuff to a group of people. It might like the personal training course was good because it was, you know, it was it was applying like theory and stuff to a single person. But you're not working with a group of people there, and you you can work with different age groups. I, you know, I was like I said, I was 16, 17. So some of them had attitude. Some of them didn't want to be there. Some of them were there because the mum were telling them they had to go. 
some of them were really keen, but they were, you know, they, they weren't gifted athletically and wanted to do more. So you end up like learning how to deal with different people and different styles and uh, different personalities. The soft skills are massive and that was a great time to kind of practice them. Yeah, definitely. And it just shows the amount of opportunities out there as well because the Sunday league teams, Saturday league teams, like there's so many chances for you to just reach out and people will snap your hand off, won't they, when you when you do reach out. So I think it's great advice that you've given in terms of your journey so far for any students or people coming out the back of When you've gone right back to college there in terms of getting your first bits of experience, there'll be yeah. a lot of people in a similar sort of situation that want to end up in football. You have to do that groundwork, don't you? Yeah, I think just putting yourself out there to do it as well. Like being a bit of a, a, a yes man in terms of if an opportunity comes up, don't turn it down. You, you know, like like you might be busy and you might, you know, I had to turn a few shifts down at the hotel. I was working part-time, but for me, that was a no-brainer because I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. I wanted to, you know, be involved in sport. And so being able to apply the skills in that setting definitely benefited me. So just take the opportunities you get because if you say yes to someone they, and they come around and they need another opportunity in the future, they need to want to fill a role and you were and you were a person who was so positive about taking the role and, and you gave you hundred percent to everything, they're gonna they, you know they're gonna be a good reference for you even if there's a job going that they that they know you're you're a good they're a good reference for you because you're so positive and and you're working and you worked hard to kind of get where you were so that's a big bit of advice that I would give really. And we'll move it on now to yeah. you now work with essentially, and I hope he don't listen because I'm not blowing up. I'm not blowing his trumpet too much. But, oh, it does, it does. But what are the pioneers of sports science in football, really? And uh, like in, in Tom Little and anyone that's not listened to the episode with Tom, episode 24, like he's got a, a vast amount of experience in in football, numerous clubs, and I know some of the top work he does with you um, at Preston, but. What are some of the biggest lessons you've taken from working with Tom? See, when you uh, made me laugh, when, when you asked me this question, I was about to text you back and say, look, we can do a full episode on this if you want, because I don't know where to start. Because honestly, we've been at the, he's been at the club with me for like, well, I think it's but he'd be on seven years now. So I've been there eight years and Tom came the year after I'd been there for a year volunteering. So I've been there for seven years and, and I say this to everyone, whenever we speak to another practitioner, so I might, you know, Liam or if we have a, a game at our place, like a balance game, you get time to talk to the, to the, you know, the other team's kind of sports science lads or whatever. And, and I always end up mentioning like how much of a good environment Preston is and how I, how I come away and genuinely come away every day having learned something. I, I, te- I think that comes down to asking questions. I like asking questions a lot because I think that's how you learn if there's a scenario that's come up um, on a day that you have not experienced before I would ask Tom's advice so in that aspect um, there's so much that I could talk you through that he's, he's, he's taught me but uh, if I was to kind of cut it down to the main areas uh, first of all I think he's helped me massively with my soft skills my confidence in handling players different personalities um, and trusting me with their experiences is has been second to none. Like the trust he's instilled in me and the, the club and Tom has instilled in me has been huge, I think. I always remember going back to, uh, we're doing some CPD. He, he does a lot of CPD with us, you know, like in terms of, it might just be half an hour, but it's regular and, and that, that those are brilliant opportunities to learn. So I remember the first one we did, it was warm-ups. 
So we were just going in the 3G, just going through some warm-ups and he was putting us through the warm-ups just so you get a feel of how it feels and, you know, about rest, rest, uh, work ratios and things like that. And and we did those. And then he said, so like, you know, when we next have a, a like a recovery session where the lads who played are inside and the other lads are going to go out, you'll take the warm-up. And it was that week. I knew it was coming up on the Sunday and I was terrified Saturday night. I remember I was sat on my computer. I was, I'd planned it through to the microsecond and uh, I had it planned out and everything. And, and I really think those kind of things help because he instills a confidence in you to do it. So it gives you a confidence. And like I say, he's helped me massively with those soft skills. I think they're a second to none. Um, networking, he's helped me with that. He's introduced me to loads of practitioners that I probably wouldn't have had the confidence to approach in, 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 uh, on my own if you know, like I'd gone to a conference. Um, and the fact that he's just so willing to learn all the time. And it's so refreshing to see that you listen to at the network meetings that you go to a network meeting and the practitioners who are, you know, you see at the top of the game, they've achieved so much, like your Tom Littles, your Dave Carolans, um, you know, your Darren Burgess, they're always at the conferences because they've got such a hunger to continue learning. They understand that the game always moves and it never stands still. So for me, that, that was big in terms of like, once you get, once you're at the club, doesn't mean that you can't continue learning can't continue improving yourself and your team's practice. So going to go into the um, conferences is a big one. So I'll try and go as much as I can and t- same with Tom. So I'll attend with Tom and then networking, get a good chance to talk to people. And then things like this come up where, you know, you, you see other practitioners and because you've had such a genuine connection with them, it's just so re- refreshing. And, and I think David spoke about it in, in his episode on the podcast about crossing the white line. That was like those type things is things that you pick up off those practitioners that have been around so long um, that I don't think I would have got through any kind of academia. So those lessons are massive. Obviously, his practical skills are second to none. So like all his periodizations, guru in that, small-sided games, skill-based conditioning, what you spoke about in his episode. He, he taught me which was a concept to me that I hadn't learned about how you can manipulate drills to get different physical adaptations and biomechanical adaptations out of drills. So for me, they were massive. Um, And about manipulating drills, again, like I say, manipulating them to achieve different outcomes was something that I wasn't aware of until he'd spoke to me about it. And um, I don't know if you've seen his his drill database is magnificent. So I remember when, uh, first of all, we first week I'd stepped up I asked him what the name what a drill he did so he said um, he says I'll tell you what I'll give him my database my drill database so you can cross-reference the drills because we're trying to work on like a we've got a predictive drill database so the names got to match up so I've got my pen drive plugged it in I opened it up and I was like whoa (laughs) size of that so things like being proactive so I'll, I've picked that up often, be proactive, set up your databases, work on little things. They might not be implemented, but they might help you in the long run. So the drill database might take a lot of time to set up, but it comes to COVID-19 and you need to set a program for lads. Instead of having to write up the drill, this you do this, it's already there. So you pull it out of your database, you put it on your program, and you give it to the lads. So things like that about being proactive helps you in the long run. I know it might take a bit of dog work, but it definitely does. It's more autonomous in terms of getting it out there really quick. So things like that, being proactive, setting up drill databases, 
working on different pro- progresses, things like that. Another thing I think he taught us early on was about being flexible. So like you have a program, you have a philosophy, but it, you have to be flexible to meet the demands of the manager or the different demands of different players because you might have this all singing, all dancing S&C program, but a lad comes in and he can't and he can't squat. You need to be flexible to kind of adapt his program, but keep your theoretical underpinnings the same for the lads who can. Being flexible, you know, you talk about you know managers coming in. How would you adapt your philosophy the same uh, uh, to meet their demands? Sorry, but then on the contrary, another thing he also told me was about having your non-negotiables, so things that you think that are huge and they've got they've got the scientific backing things that you think are really important that you need to implement. And if you don't, and if the players or, or anyone around that don't meet those standards, there will be consequences. So it's about having your non-negotiables, but being flexible to fit those non-negotiables into, into the philosophy of the manager or, or the players you've got, I think was a, a massive learning curve for me, to be honest. So just wanted to give you a few updates on our online community. As mentioned in a few previous episodes recently, we've uploaded a few new webinars from Hamish Munro on velocity-based training. There's also one up there on growth and maturation from David Johnson and also for a hamstring rehabilitation webinar by Tony Tompas. And we've just confirmed a good number of webinars that are going to be coming very, very soon as well with some really, really top practitioners. So I'm really excited to watch those as well as releasing them onto the community. There's also 10 of our network meeting presentations available to re-watch on demand on the community as well. So if you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top. And if you sign up there, that will give you one month free on the community so you can see what it's all about. If you do stay a member after that, it is only £4.99 per month. And when we get back to the in-person network meetings, all of those future meetings and presentations from those meetings will be uploaded onto the community. But like I said, there's some great webinars coming up. Um, So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Sign up there, you get a free month. After that, it is only £4.99 per month. I will leave you with part two of the episode with Luke. And just on that as well, because you'd have crossed over um, some different first-team managers, I'm guessing, in your time. Yeah, yeah, just two. So I started off with Simon Grayson. Yeah. And then I think it was four seasons, and then Alex Neal came in. So that was good for me as well. It was another great experience. A new manager, different like playing style, different like the setup of the week. Periodization was different, so it was it was good to see how we had to adapt to meet those demands, and we how we had to kind of adapt and help the players adapt to fit a, a certain like periodization model. So that that was a really good experience and, and something that definitely helped me learn from that. Because I know that's basically what you've mentioned there, isn't it? In terms of being flexible, I know from the players that can be a day to day. Um, thing that you've got to assess but in terms of the manager it's great and this is obviously what practitioners like Tom have been through they've been through a number of different styles and and models and had to apply and that non-negotiables is really key isn't it because that is your underpinning knowledge and experience there things that you know you've got to get into the program but be adaptive in in the same situation yeah definitely like um 
you know, going back to the adaptability and the flexibility of players is it's like you've got to have those non-negotiables so that the players that might need different things, when they come to that certain drill that's a non-negotiable, they know that they have to fit, they have to meet those standards or else there will be consequences. And I think that links massively into philosophy, something that I was aware of, but like in terms of Tom's really implemented, like, you know, like you read about the old blacks, they have a style and, and they have like non-negotiables and sweeping the sheds and, and those those aspects and it, you know it really hammers them home and I think if you have your non-negotiables they can all intertwine and, and they can all like benefit each other so you have the non-negotiables for a, your fitness side of it so if you don't meet this standard there will be consequences where we will need to kind of step in and, and see what, what the issue is and how we can resolve that to get you to that standard so I think it's massive in terms of like setting a good culture as well yeah, definitely. And I'm pretty sure there's a there's a quote in there somewhere about learning from um, previous people that have written books and things like that. And that's essentially what you're doing when you're working with practitioners like Tom that have got a vast array of experience. You've got to take their experience, haven't you? Because it's essentially shortcutting a good few years worth of experience. And you have to develop your own as well. I'm not saying that's that's not the case. You still have to go through things and realize things that work, things that didn't work, how to be adaptive. But using someone like him, and obviously not just Tom, there's a lot of other practitioners out there that are in the same sort of boat, is vital, isn't it? Having that sort of mentor figure. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. In terms of, like like you said, the, men, the mentor side of it, it, it is brilliant because someone that I can contact whenever and he will offer advice. Um, you know, I, I asked some advice before coming on here and he was more than willing to offer me advice in terms of, you know, how to come across and, and, and whatever. So... In terms of that, men, that mentor side of it, it's been fantastic and, and it's definitely helped me improve as a person as well as a practitioner as well, I think is really set. And I think when you look at football and you look at sport, we spoke about this earlier, you have to be a good person in my, my opinion. So helping me improve as a person and as a practitioner at the same time kind of helps me like twofold, if, you, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I know a lot of people will be forgetting about the the current season right now and the standings and everything, but you guys are having a, a fantastic season um, oh, yeah, yeah, bro. so far. And hopefully, hopefully the season does finish and we, we get wrapped up and all the rest of it. But what I wanted to talk to you about is some aspects of, of um, the work that you guys do that you've put in place that's had the biggest impact. Oh, yeah, so kind of since I've been there, what have we put in place to, that, you know, that's had the biggest impact on our, you know, what we're doing? All right, yeah. Um, so, well, obviously since I've been there, like I said, for seven years, so there's been a number of things that we've implemented as a multidisciplinary team to kind of improve performance or improve lifestyles or certain aspects of a player of a player we've looked to try and improve. Uh, I think the first thing that's important to say is, and, and it's a philosophy that we have at the club, is if it's not going to affect some some form of your, you know your daily routine. So if it's not going to bring up a conversation with a player, if it's not going to provide some sort of objective scores, is there any need to implement it? So obviously there's so much tech and, and, and so on and so forth out there these days that you could spend 
millions on implementing all these ideas, but we have a we have a um, like a a philosophy that if it doesn't affect us in a certain way, it's not backed by science, doesn't affect us, and we can't implement it with you know with ease in terms of relaying it to the players or manager. Is there much need in, in implementing it? So I think that was a good lesson as well is you come from uni and you think, oh, I could do this, I can do this, I can do this, but is it really going to affect your practice on a day-to-day basis? So like I say, we look for things that have got peer-reviewed evidence-based and is something that we can fit into our philosophy that isn't going to take anything away from performance, isn't going to take away time on the pitch, isn't going to take away you know time for lads to be resting up. And it's something that we can implement you know, and relay those messages to the players. So when I first started, we had only had heart rates. So for us, a natural progression to be able to kind of look at objective measurements, um, test players, so you can use it for testing um, type drills or you can use it to manage and periodise your week. For us, bringing in the, um, the GPS units was kind of a big one for me. That was the first kind of intervention that I saw at the club is we went from hot for using heart rates for half a year to implementing GPS and obviously that's had a big impact on how we monitor players how we you know periodize certain players during off season in season all, all those you know all those time frames and how we can kind of manage game worlds as well so when I first started you weren't allowed to use the units in games so then now that that's been approved by the FA and the you know, the BFA or whatever, we've used in that and, and you tend to find that you can manipulate loads much easier once you know what a game load is. And there's a lot of research out there. Well, there isn't lots of research, but there's a lot of like Jack Sharkey, uh, Adam Owen type thing where they look at the percentage of matches. So if you didn't have that game data, you wouldn't have been able to kind of relate it to a percentage of match. So that was a big intervention for us. Um Something that Tom brought in quite early on was like educational meetings. I think about a big kind of um, advan- added a big advantage to us. So like it might just be a 15 minute meeting with the nutritionist Mark, or it might be 10 minutes with Mick Kearns, the SNC, or 10 minutes with Tom, where they just speak about things that we think we can improve. So nutrition, you know, why are we why are we doing these things that we're implementing? Etc. And I think it, it helps as well build into a philosophy. So there's there's lots of transparency. So everyone knows why we're doing certain things. So we don't just chuck something in the program and then say, by the way, we're doing this. We, we you know we have like an educational meeting, we're not too sciencey, so we don't com- you know overcomplicate. But this is why we're doing it, and this is why we're bringing it in. So I think those have been really really beneficial to us as a squad. Um, Talking on the nutrition side of things, I think Colour Fit's helped with our lads. Tom's massive on kind of teaching lads the practical skills. So we take lads shopping, teach them. We know we have like cooking classes at the training ground, things like that. And you definitely see a difference in players' performances or body composition through through those implementations. And I think the new software that the Colour we brought out Colour Fit now is just going to elevate that even more because you know you've got your administrative rights, so you can kind of periodise players' nutrition. And I just generally tend to find that since we've implemented the, you know, those strategies, the lads are more receptive to nutrition things. You know, they're sending you 
oh, look what I made last night and things like that. And whereas they used to just have ravioli or whatever it was that was easy they could make. So that as an intervention, I think, had a massive impact on performance, recovery, body's, body composition, etc. Um Next, I'd probably say, Tom, what the sub-max show you're in. So we were doing them. We started off max early on. But we tended to find that we couldn't implement that so much throughout the season. So because it was, it's a maximal effort um, test, so you can't really do that in the middle of a period where you've got, you know, five games in, in three weeks or whatever, because it's just the added load that the lads don't need. So we brought in a sub-max yo-yo test. And that's part of our non-negotiables. Like the lads, you know, this is why we're doing it and we're doing it and that's it type thing. Because it allows us to review the heart rate post-test and the, and the heart rate one-minute post-test and it bring, and it helps us highlight and, like I said before, bring up those communication pathways of this player's, you know, not recovering as well as he, as he was. Is there an intervention we can step in there and have a chat? It might be something, you know, where... The, they've just had a kid and they're not sleeping as much. So the heart rate's naturally going to be elevated, but it's something that I think that we can, that we've added that allows us to have these conversations. It's easy implemented. You know, it takes 10 minutes. The test is nine minutes long after you can do that after a warm up, and it adds minimal load in terms of like, there's no real overload from it. So it's perfect. And we get our test scores and it's, and there's a really good, like, like I say, culture around that, you know, we have conversations with any lads that we think is uh, flagging up or, and on the contrary to that, we kind of um, applaud any lads that have been working hard and have shown increases and, and whatnot. So we, we kind of base that throughout the year and they've got the results and they can see the results. So for me, that, that was a, a big one in terms of like the non-negotiable side of it and something that's helped us massively um, improve. And then again, the last thing I'd say that, I've seen implemented again the push by other staff is those non-negotiables so we brought in certain things that need to be done um, so your max speed strides we were implementing those and, and lads were kind of getting around 85% and stuff so we had them in and we had a meeting and we're saying this is the evidence of why being above 90% of your max speed in helps you know increases classical length makes you more robust you know, which means to you as a player, you've got more chance of being out there on a Saturday or a Tuesday play, playing. So we implemented those and and I think that's massively helped with like soft tissue injuries and um, like it's having a, it's had a real clear buy-in. Um, one thing I think that's helped massively with that as well is since the vector units have come out, we've had the ability to have live monitoring. So the lads know that we're watching, but you know, that's the time where we're like Big Brother and you need to be above that certain marker. And ever since that, we've had no problems. Lads are good as gold anyway, so they'll always put it in, but it might just be a little chat with a lad, you know, come on, you need to slip it in an extra gear. It's, we need you above a certain threshold. So that's helped massively. And then we brought in um, uh, like a, a leaderboard system in the gym as well because, we, you know, we were trying to like monitor lads and things like that, but we've added like this leaderboard style system and, and Tom brought Mick, Mick, Mick in, Mick Kearns, he's helped massive with the S&C. He runs like the S&C, runs the programming and him and Tom kind of converse about, you know, what, what we can do to overload or periodise the weights. And, and we've added a leaderboard again. 
and and basically the leaderboards up in the gym for everyone to see. And we and we and the Mick puts up certain targets for per week. Um, and you're in green if you've got the target. You're in red if you've not. And you know you know how below or how above the target you are. So for me, that's added a, like a real culture around that because lads are, were just like cruising. But this has now allowed us to kind of review it and think they need to be pushing to these certain standards. We've got these non-negotiables. This is the bottom level. You need to be above that. And for me, that that's helped massively as well in terms of the soft the touch wood, soft tissue injury rate and, and, and so on and so forth. And the culture as well. There's a really good gym culture now. And for me... Like Tom's mentioned it in his previous podcasts is, you know, it's all about having really solid fundamentals done well. It's, that's more important than having a really old singing, old dancing um, program done poorly. So for, for, for us, it's those nailing down those fundament, fundamentals and doing them to the best of our ability. And I think that filters down from the top all the way down to the players you know, and the, and it feeds it feeds off the staff onto the players that we're all there to try and and try and improve improve us as a club and and, and basically improve our performances on the weekend. So, yeah, those non-negotiables I think have been into. That's it. I talked about those in a time frame, as in what we brought in when and, and what I think's been most important. And the non-negotiables kind of brought in beginning of last year, and I think they've massively helped in in terms of our application to the players. And just to expand on that. Obviously, this season's been a, a bit, and it's not over yet, but been a top season, and it hurts me to say this as a Wiganer, but you guys are, are flying and have been for the majority of the season. But have you seen a shift this season? Because obviously, over the seasons you've you've been involved with the club, you've had you've had seasons where you've been um, doing well, and then probably not so well. But then this season seems to everything seems to have come together, and I think you've probably described from the sports science point of view why a lot of that has happened. Like, there's a lot of groundwork that goes into it behind the scenes. But have you seen any sort of shift from this season with the players, with the, with the management team, whatever it is, or, or the club as a whole that has sort of led for that increase in performance? Or do you just think that things have just come together? I think it's just a natural progression of us as a club. Everyone, you know, when you talk about the club, talks about how much they enjoy being there, how good the people are. And I think everyone, I think the players and, and, and you know, every, they know that everyone's there to help them. So no one's there for their own benefit. You know, like we're not there for our egos, but everyone there is working day in, day out to get Preston to the highest level, functioning at the highest level that we can. So I think it's just a combination of just, hard work from everyone from all angles I don't think there's anything you can put your finger on put and say that's what changed us you know we've got a manager who's extremely hungry to improve technically tactically physically demands the most of the players um, and the players are just honest they'll give you 100% and everything and I think that's why everyone talks about how it's such a good environment because everyone gets on you know there's no clicks all the staff and mates, you know, everyone works extremely hard to the hardest, you know, to the to the best of their ability, works day in, day out towards that. And and the lads just feed off that and enjoy being there. And and that's why I think they give you 100% because they know that everyone there is given 100% from the top all the way, you know, all the way through. You know, everyone get, gets along. So I think that that's, you know, um, the underpinning factor is we're just 
everyone's working towards the same goal. And if everyone's working the same way, you're only going to go one way, in my opinion. Yeah, I've, I agree, man. I think looking from the outside, but also speaking to Tom and yourselves before, like you've mentioned in the episode a few times, and I was going to bring it up at the time, but I didn't want to interrupt you. You said about the lads being on board and the, being, um, I think you said they're good lads and things like that. And, and those things are the reasons where things come together then, don't they? And then, and we know that seasons and results, can they have a lot of different aspects to it. It's not just a case of, sports science meaning that we win leagues or anything like that but there's a there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes and I think you've touched on so many different aspects of what you guys do but the club as a whole as well in terms of the whole approach and the whole preparation for games and I think there's a lot of that coming together um, and a lot of rationale behind why why you're having the season you're having yeah massively like I say we, we, everyone has the same identity there's a lot of clarity for the club that this is the goal and I think as a club, we have non-negotiables and set standards and we all work above those. So like you say, you're only going to work work one way. So yeah, that, that's what I would, I wouldn't say there's one defining factor. I just think that it's down to hard work really and, and uh, a desire from the players. Definitely. And then just to wrap us up, mate, what I wanted to ask you because a lot of people will be in a similar position or wanting to even get into your position but what what are your plans for the future? Have you got aspirations to go to head of department, or what what's the future for you? Um, I, you know, I think that's something I would aspire to get to. But the current position I'm in at the moment, I'm con- like I said to you earlier on, I'm consistently learning, um, improving day out, day in and day out, and not just practical. I'm theoretically improving, you know, learning all the time. So for me, you know, I'd love to, love to be the like a head of performance type type role and something I aspire aspire to be. I, I like to push myself and, and push myself out of my comfort zones and things like that. But yeah, at, at the moment, just continue learning, asking questions, networking where I can, jumping on board, things like this. I was massively nervous before jumping on. Just like I say, pushing yourself out of your comfort zones and and trying to improve myself and my underpinnings and kind of mould my philosophies really so that's my that's my plan really is just keep learning keep improving keep putting myself out there and, and trying to mould myself to be a better practitioner day in day out really awesome mate well I think I've been, I mean there's so much information you've gone into there and so much um, depth you've gone into on the on the preparation that you guys do so I really appreciate how honest and open you've been with that because I think that and if people listen to the episode with Tom they can see all the top work that you guys are doing. So there was no need to be nervous. You absolutely smashed it, mate. Cheers. Yeah, I think, uh, and like like I say, you talk back to lessons from Tom and things like that. And and as a as a like um, as a discipline, there's no secrets. Everyone's doing you know similar uh, similar things and applying it differently. But it's all about believing in what you do and and fitting your philosophies around how you do it to kind of get you know get the maximum for you as a team and yeah there's not like I said there's no there's no secrets everyone everyone knows the science behind what we do and why we do it so you know if if being open helps us as a um, as a discipline get better and performance is going to get better then it's only going to um, help us in the long run so yeah it's, I think just being transparent obviously where you can is important and, and helping each other as well. Like 
I don't think I would have got anywhere near I, I have now if I didn't have help from well I know I wouldn't if I didn't have help from people like Tom and and other men you know other people that I can look up to and ask advice for and and people have helped me massively along the way so by doing things like this it's going to help other people I think it's a big part of the game really no definitely right and if if people want to reach out, Luke, if they've, if they've got questions or they want to um, touch base with you, maybe maybe it's students that want a bit of advice on certain things or people in the, that are at clubs, where's the best place to do it? Yeah, but, well, by no, I'm by no means a guru or anything, but I'm, I'm always happy to have a chat with anyone and bounce my ideas off. You know, I, I peck a few people's heads quite a lot and I appreciate those people spend some time talking to me. So if anyone wants to get in, in contact, you can put my email on the uh, on the notes uh, which is just luke underscore hemmings at outlook.com or they can reach me on twitter i think my name's luke dot hemmings too i have to be careful because uh this the uh, singer from five seconds of summer is called luke hemmings so all the all the names are taken up so i think it's luke dot hemmings too but uh, you can just put it in your notes and uh yeah anytime email a text message anything i'll help where i can or talk wherever i can Awesome, mate. Well, I really appreciate you giving up your time. It was class um, going through all that. I think there's loads of takeaways in that one. So thanks a lot for coming on. No worries again. Like I said, it's very humbling that you've asked me to come on because you've had some absolute gurus. So thanks to you as well, Ben. No worries, mate. We'll catch up soon. Yeah, stay safe. Big thank you to Luke for coming on the podcast. I thought there was some great information in that one. Really nice to speak to Luke and he's always top every time we catch up with him like he was at anyone that was at the network meeting at press and I'm sure would have caught up with him then. Really open in their approach. The same with Tom, to be fair, at Preston. So it was great to chat with him and there was plenty of other stuff we could have probably gone through in this episode too. Um, we said after the show we had a few extra plans for content but we didn't actually even get to that so it was great to chat with Luke I hope you took plenty from it some of my takeaways were one of the one of the first ones was actually the the personal philosophy of Luke so I think he he, he quoted something like if it's not easy it's not worth doing and I think instead of relating that to a team's philosophy I think that's that's more I think you can hear from some of the fitness challenges that he's been doing that's more of a personal philosophy likes to test himself likes to put himself out there and you heard all the work that he's been through to get to his current role at the moment and it's quite refreshing to hear someone that's willing to put in that those hard yards and really test themselves. So that was my my first takeaway. Second one was um, them talking about questioning, implementing new things. So not just falling for any bright lights or new bits of tech or anything like that. Just questioning whether it's going to add to the program. I think that's really, that again. That probably seems quite obvious, but I think there's a lot of people that probably don't do that. They probably fall for adding things in just because it's new and exciting. And then the the main part of the, the episode for me was the non-negotiables. That's and I asked the question strategies that have been that have, that have had the biggest impact, and that was probably the biggest one in terms of what they've done at Preston, putting in the non-negotiables, the things that the players have to adhere to, um, and that that defines the the philosophy at the club, and that obviously runs throughout. So that was great to speak to Luke about all those. I think they were, they were some key takeaways, but I'm sure there's plenty more. So reach out. We've had a few people reaching out in the last few episodes, letting us know their takeaways. So please do the same. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, email. And the Twitter and Instagram are at footballfitfed, and the email is mail at footballfitfed.com. 
So let us know what you think. If you want to go and give Luke a follow, he's on Twitter at Luke Hemmings and then the number two. So it's Luke and then H-E-M-M-I-N-G-S and then the number two. So give him a follow and reach out. Let him know what you thought of the podcast. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you as well. So big thank you for listening again. Like I said at the start of the episode, as well as leaving iTunes reviews, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get the podcast as soon as they're released and we'll speak to you later in the week with the second episode of the week.